Lord, you are good. We do love you and praise you, God. You are so good. Such a, um, a sweet reminder of your goodness, Lord. So we thank you for that today, God. Lord, we do ask that you'd be over our time now, Lord, that you would fill us afresh with the power of your Holy Spirit, God, which we so desperately need. Lord, would you come now and fall upon this place, God, that we may hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, welcome back, ladies. What a blessing. Is there anybody that's new with us this time? Anyone? Well, welcome. Welcome. Welcome, ladies. So what a blessing to have you with us. You came at a good time. We're studying a new book. We're actually going through five books this year, but we're starting Second Peter today. And um, so you've come at a great time. You can come anytime you want. We won't turn you away ever, but... It's such a blessing to be with you. I'm Michelle Randall. If um, I have not met you yet, I'm Pastor John's uh, wife, and um, he would say the better half, but I disagree with that. I'm just the other half, so we're a whole together. (laughs) But nevertheless, um, such a blessing to be back to Bible study. I don't know about you, but I need structure, and... Without the structure and accountability, I think, of knowing that you're going to be getting together in a group, we tend to become a little idle, right? And idleness is a devil's playground, it's been said, right? So we do not want to be idle. Therefore, if you're like me, you need structure. And we have structured our Bible study in such a way that you... Um, can be in the Word of God every day. It's broken up by each day, and so we are desiring to help you. I mean, we're helped as well, but we're desiring to help you. Those of you that maybe um, have a difficult time uh, having a consistent devotional life, our desire is to help you. So the Bible study is structured in such a way that you can take a little bit of the chapter each day and read and meditate and write. You know you retain more if you use all of your learning styles, right? You read it out loud is the best. Write it down. And then, of course, we've learned here because I teach you read it, write it, speak it, live it, right? You read it out loud. It goes out and it comes back in. So then you're hearing it as you're reading it. And you write it down. Write something down that the Lord ministers to you. And then share it with someone, right? Because you know you've retained it if you can share it. And then you live it. We seek to obey the word of God because that is how we do what Peter instructs us today. And that is how we bear fruit in our lives. We read the word of God consistently But we must obey the word of God. We must apply the word of God. We must live the word of God to bear the fruit that we so desperately want in our lives. Amen? I mean, we want to be fruit-bearing believers. To do that, we have to apply what we've learned. We have to read it. You can't learn unless you are willing to read it. So we are going to learn today about the fruit-filled Christian life. Jesus said in Matthew seven sixteen, You will know them by their 
That's right. You Bible students, you will know them by their fruit. Everyone produces some sort of fruit in their life. Did you know that? It's either good or bad. We all produce fruit. We produce produce, something in our lives. And it really doesn't take long, does it, in a conversation with somebody to really know where they're at. I say 10 minutes max. You know, you just, are they just talking about themselves? I mean, you really can tell. What is the produce of your life? What is produced from your life? We can tell. It does not take long to see good or bad produce. The difference between the two is entirely based on what sort of elements are surrounding the tree. The food, the water, the sun, the temperature, the care for a tree, a fruit tree that is, is vital right? It is vital to what is produced by the care of the tree. Do you take care of your tree? Do you take care of your Christian life? Our faith is like a fruit tree, and fruit trees need constant care, and so do we. But Some people treat their Christian life like succulents. They need little or no care, right? (laughs) I thought about that. What plant doesn't need any care? The succulent. I mean, which of you gravitates to the succulent? Anyone? Okay, me too. (laughs) I love them. I mean, you just, they're great. They're always looking awesome, and you never really need to touch them. In fact, if you give them too much care, they die. (laughs) So it's really great, you know, little care for those succulents. But I was thinking the difference between the succulent and the fruit tree. The succulent, little care, really no care. The fruit tree, much care, much attention. To have a fruitful Christian life, we must care for our tree. And I looked up this week a little bit about the fruit tree, and I found it quite interesting, and I wanted to share it with you. The fruit tree must be planted in the right place. It has to have at least six hours of sun a day. It must not be planted too close to another tree or a sidewalk or a building that could obstruct it. It must also have enough, you'll love this, chill hours. That's what they call it, chill hours. It's not like hanging out chill hours. It's freezing temperature hours. Those temperatures below 45 degrees. It must have those hours. If the fruit tree does not have those hours, it will not, what it calls, set the fruit. The fruit won't then produce and be its ripest unless it has chill hours. In our life, what is it that takes your life to below 45 degree temperature? I would call those trials. I would call those times of suffering, times of pain. It is necessary in our life to have those chill hours, those times in our life, those trials and the pain and the suffering, the persecution. That is what ripens our fruit, ladies. It's very important also that the tree be watered constantly, fertilized, and you must watch for disease and pests as well. 
As I read about these fruit trees, I marveled at the similarities, right? As I'm sharing them, don't you see the similarity between our life as a Christian and the fruit tree? We too need to be planted into the right place, in good, healthy soil, in a good Bible-teaching church where we get plenty of nutrients. We also must be planted not too close to others. Why? Because we tend to lean too heavy upon them. It is true that any time in my Christian walk I would lean too heavy upon another human being, the Lord would take them away or take me away or something would change in the relationship. That is because the Lord wants us to lean upon him. Lean heavy upon him. It is okay to have trees around us, but not too close to us. Because he wants us solely to lean heavy upon him. Because that hinders our growth. At some point in time, maybe when you're a new believer or a baby Christian, we do, right, tend to lean very heavily upon others, don't we? We depend upon them. And that is okay for a season. But at some time, you must stand on your own two feet. You must get away from the building. You must get away from the sidewalk or too close to another. That's not to say we can't have close friendships because iron sharpens iron. We need close friendships. But you know what I'm saying? When you're too closely attached to somebody, it is unhealthy for the tree. And it is unhealthy for us as believers. They, too, must have plenty of sun. And we will say, we need plenty of the S-O-N, right? We need the sun. I love the sun, the S-U-N, but I love the S-O-N much more. Uh, We need the sun, lots of Jesus, more than six hours a day. We need him 24-7, don't we? And, of course, as I said, we need those chill hours. We need that time that we can really rely upon the Lord, and he presses us. He'll allow things to happen in our lives. Pain, sorrow, suffering, loss. To drive us to his feet and complete an utter dependence upon him. We must get plenty of the living water, right? plenty of the word of God. And it is through the word of God that helps us then to do the other things, to discern when there's disease, to discern when there's a pest, to discern when there's things in our life that are not healthy for us, that could be hindering our growth or eating away at our produce. The living water, the word of God, I looked at it like a built-in pest control. It really does, doesn't it, give us wisdom and discernment? We have the gifts of the Spirit. We're able to discern what is right and wrong and healthy and unhealthy. It is only through plenty of watering of the Word of God that we then can have that built-in pest control. We can see what is wrong, what is right, what is good, what is bad for us. Being a strong, healthy, fruit-producing Christian takes time. You know, it is said of a fruit tree, it takes three to five years to produce fruit once a tree is planted. Interesting, isn't it? I cannot tell you how many times I have told a new believer, give it three years. 
three years. Wait, sit with the Lord. Allow your honeymoon season to be three years. I mean, we think about the disciples. How long were they with Jesus? Three years. How long was Paul out in the desert before he began his public ministry? Three years. There is something, I'm not saying it's the magic number, but there is something to three years. And we see it right here in nature. Three to five years. Ladies, don't be too anxious. Give yourself time. I remember as a new believer just praying daily, Lord, make me a godly woman. Make me a godly woman. Like I could have produced it somehow on my own, and I could not. Apart from all these things that we mentioned and a working in the power of the Holy Spirit, we can produce nothing. But with Jesus, we can produce so much good fruit. But fruit takes time, ladies. Don't get ahead of yourself. Don't get ahead of the Lord. Let him work, sit, be watered, and produce fruit in your life in that time. It takes discipline, it takes patience, and it takes determination. And that's what we're going to look at today. That was a very long intro, but that's what we're going to look at today as we open now to Second Peter chapter 1, what makes a healthy, fruit-producing Christian? And I've entitled this message, The Fruit-Filled Life. It's been said that salvation happens in a moment, but sanctification is a lifelong process. And we know that, right? Sanctification is that process of becoming more and more like Jesus. That is sanctification. Once we surrender our lives to Jesus, he then goes after our will, right? Once he's got our heart, he goes for the will. And that is the thing that we will strive and strain, believe it or not, to maintain. Our desire is to hold on to that old lady as long as we can right? It takes time. It takes time to let go of the old lady, the old person, the old ways, our rights, our will. It takes time. This, of course, is a work of the power of the Holy Spirit, a work that it can be sped up or slowed down based upon these things that we've discussed about the tree. Where you're planted, how much water you get, what hinders it, are there pests or disease. That determines how quickly or how slowly we grow. Yes, it is a process that takes time, but it can be slowed down and it can be sped up by us as well. The more time we spend in the Word of God and then making the right choice to obey the word of God, the more we naturally, what? Grow. The more we grow as believers. It's actually pretty simple. Jesus said in John fifteen five, I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do, what? Nothing. 
without the Lord, we can do nothing. Now, we can do a lot in our flesh, right? We can accomplish. We can strive and strain, and we can accomplish a lot in our flesh. But without Jesus, we can't do anything worth keeping. We can't do anything good. We cannot bear any fruit without him. To abide means to live, to dwell, and to remain. That is what abide means. Are you living close to Jesus? Are you dwelling with him on a daily basis? Are you remaining with him? Peter knew what it meant to live close to Jesus. In his earlier years, though, we all know, Peter was overly confident, wasn't he? He was overlooked at times because he overlooked warnings. He rushed ahead when he should have waited. He slept when he should have prayed. And he talked when he should have listened, right? Peter was often very courageous, yet careless as a young Christian. Have any of you ever felt like that? Can you relate to Peter? I know I can. Maybe you've known somebody that's a lot like Peter. I am a lot like Peter, I believe. Um, And praise God. I mean, I love Peter in the scriptures because of who he became. You know that shifting sand became a solid rock. I love that. And that's where I'm going for, the solid rock. (laughs) I don't want to be shifting sand. I don't want to be on that sand. I want to be on solid, and I want to be solid and movable for the Lord. And I know you do as well. But I can relate to Peter very well. When I first got saved, I was very zealous, but I lacked maturity. I would often be the first to speak up and found it very difficult to listen to someone else. I would interrupt people. I would... Uh, but I was very zealous for my faith. I couldn't wait to share with people about Jesus. I remember I would stop by myself without anybody else, and I would share with prostitutes. You know, every Friday night, I'd just go out because I knew where they were, and I'd bring them a Bible, and I'd share with them, not thinking anything about the possible danger of it. I was zealous for the Lord. Zeal for the Lord is good. Maturity is good. But the two of them together is best. Amen? We want both. We never want to lose our zeal for the Lord, but we must have maturity coupled with zeal. And that is what is best. That is what God delights in and can use. But oftentimes, the only way to get them both is through time and experience under our belt. We need time to mature. But many of us are so impatient, even in our Christian walk, aren't we? We're just so zealous, but so impatient. I remember praying, as I told you, fervently to be a godly woman. That's all I wanted to be, and yet I forgot to factor in, or I didn't, or I was ignorant, I was young, to factor in the time that it took to get there. It's just like anything else. It takes time. It takes determination. You know, that discipline to get anywhere, to do anything, to be good at a practice or a trade or whatever you do. The same is with our walk with the Lord. Whatever you put in, you'll get from it. Maturity comes with time. It does not happen overnight. Maturity, like sanctification, is a lifelong process. We never stop maturing in the Lord, constantly growing. There is more we can do, more we can learn. There is 
it's, it's en- endless, endless, the possibility and potential that we have, no matter how young or old you are. Today, we will, as I said, consider what makes a mature believer. Peter has already taken time in this first letter that we studied together to comfort those who were suffering. Now he takes time to write to them, to advise them, to warn them about false teachers and doctrine that had come into the church and to encourage them to go and grow on into maturity. As we look to chapter 1 of Second Peter, we do see that he lists for us seven characteristics of a fruit-bearing believer. And this is where we're going to camp today. I couldn't get past it. I just thought, with the tree and everything the Lord showed me earlier in the week about the tree, I thought, I'm just going to stick with this fruit-bearing tree today. So we will get for the first 10 verses, and then in your group time, you'll discuss the rest. But um, seven characteristics. So let's look at verse 1. The text says, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. As his divine power has given to us the things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that though these you may be partakers, excuse, through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. We'll stop there for a moment and just discuss for a moment that um, several things that Paul mentions here, um, excuse me, Peter mentions here in these verses. First of all, He discusses peace and grace, but he uses it, the term grace, first. You cannot have peace, we know, until you have first experienced the grace of God. Grace is God's unmerited favor, or another definition that we know of is God's riches at Christ's expense. It is not possible to have peace until you are at peace. We can't have it until we have made peace with God because prior to having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, we were at war with God. But then we wave the right flag, the white flag, and we surrender. It's the right one. It's the white one too. And we surrender to him. And then we are at peace with God. And then he grants us the peace of God. Once we've received the grace of God, we can experience the peace of God, and then we are ready for the next step, to grow in the knowledge of God. The word know or knowledge is used 13 times in this short epistle here. The word doesn't mean an understanding of truth. It means a living participation in the truth. Jesus said in John 17, 3, This is life eternal, that you might know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. Peter opens up this letter with a description of the Christian life so that we can know Jesus 
better. Before he reveals the counterfeit, though, in the remainder of the chapter, he takes time to describe the character of a true believer, liking it to precious faith. Don't you love that? I love that word. And then precious promises that we are given. Precious faith and precious promises. I've always loved that word precious. It means of great value, not to be wasted or treated carelessly. Don't you love that? That is our faith. It is not to be wasted. It is not to be treated carelessly. Do you value your faith? Do you treat it like an expensive stone or gem, like a priceless possession? We should, right? Peter continues by exhorting to us this wonderful word that leapt off the page, and it probably did to you too, and I don't know why I never saw it or highlighted it before, but it's add. (laughs) The word is add. He exhorts us to add to this most precious gift of faith these seven characteristics, which we'll talk about. This word add really means to supply generously. In other words, we develop one quality as we exercise another quality. Like the fruit of the Spirit, in Galatians 5, these qualities grow out of a vital relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not enough as a Christian to just let go and let God, as though the spiritual work really had to, was God's, doing alone. The father and the child are to work together. We are to work with the Lord. We have to obey. That's our end of it, you know. We have to abide to grow. We work together with the father. Our faith is to be added to. It is to grow, and the other word I love here is to multiply. It was never meant to remain the same as when we first got saved. Don't you love that? We are to grow and to multiply. No matter how old you are or how long you've walked with the Lord, it is to continue to be added to on a daily basis. So what are we to add? Let's look at the remainder. Verses 5 through 8 says, But also for this reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith, and here he lists the seven things, virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, he says, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter is saying that we have everything we need to cultivate a growing and vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. We have been given all the tools to build with, the blueprints uh, to be led with, We have the model of Jesus to follow. We have the Holy Spirit that empowers us. And then we have the brethren for accountability and encouragement. But we will never grow in the area of biblical knowledge 
unless we are willing to study it, unless we are willing to be in it, to read it, to apply it, to live it. We won't learn what it is to have a servant's heart unless we serve the Lord. We won't ever grow in our faith unless we are willing to take steps of faith. And we will never lead a person to the Lord unless we are willing to share the gospel. It's been said that God sends every bird his food, but he doesn't throw it into the nest. We must seek it out ourselves. Jeremiah 29, 13 exhorts us, saying, You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. Part of it? No. Some of it? No. All means what? All. All of it. Is not Jesus worthy of giving him all of our hearts? And if we want to grow, we must give him all, everything. And Philippians 2.12b says, Work out your own salvation. Mamas, not your kids. Your own salvation with fear and trembling. You know, as a mom of four, three of them are adults, it's tricky. And you're probably many of you in that same place. We want to step in. We want to work out our kids' salvation for them or our husband's salvation for him. Write this verse down, highlight it, star it, heart it, whatever you do with it, do it. Memorize it. Hide it in your heart. Because if you're not there yet, maybe you're past there. And, and, and grandmas, don't try to do it for your grandbabies either. <laughs> Whatever stage you're in, you will be tempted to want to work out someone else's salvation. We cannot. We should not. So don't. Hands off, mamas. I say that to myself. <clears throat> it's hard it's hard, but there is a time, whatever that age of accountability is, it's different, I believe, with different kids, but when they get there, you know, <laughs> and you'll be like, ah, you know, like, can't I walk you all the way? No, you can't walk them to the pearly gates. They walk on their own. Here, Peter gives us a list of the areas that we are to be working on personally, and the first is virtue. Virtue whoa, is behavior, okay, Lord, showing high moral standards. It refers to your conduct as a Christian. It also speaks of goodness, righteousness, excellence. True virtue in the Christian life isn't polishing human qualities. It's producing divine qualities that make you more like Jesus. It's not polishing our human qualities. It is producing divine qualities that come from the Lord. Faith develops virtue, and virtue helps to develop the next in line, which is knowledge. Knowledge is understanding. The word translated knowledge here means full 
knowledge or knowledge that is growing. This kind of knowledge doesn't just come automatically. It comes through obedience. Obedience to the will and the word of God. We are sanctified by the truth. Jesus said in John 17, 17, Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. The truth that we are sanctified by is the word of God. If we want to continue to grow in the Lord, we must spend time in the word of God. For this is how we gain knowledge. Every new year... I reevaluate my devotional time, my devotional life. You may do the same thing. Try to find tricks, right? How can I spend more time? Or what can I do? Or how can I be more consistent? Or how can I read through the Bible in a year? You know, type of thing. Um, And we, you know, we try to make some new goals. Well, I do that too. Last year, I got a hardback. I've gone through the one-year Bible for seven years. Um, But I rarely make it all the way through, just true confession. So (laughs) it's because I'm a camper, Okay. Um, I'm a glamper, really, actually. I'm not a big, big tent camper. But I'm a camper in the Word of God. I like to sit there, and I like to meditate, and I like to dwell, and I like to do that whole thing. So I don't read to just read. I read to retain. And I want to be changed by what I read. So last year I got this hard back and I thought this is going to be great because all my soft back one years are destroyed because I take them wherever I go. And so I'm like, I'm going to do the hard back and there's a place to write in it. You can journal. It's awesome. Uh, But I found that I just cannot do the one year Bible. Is anyone with me? True confessions. Thank you. Thank you, ladies. I feel so much better right now. (laughs) It's just not for me. So I was joking, I think, last year, uh, you know, last year meaning 2018, I'm going to put out a a two-year Bible. You know what? Actually, I'm going to put out a three-year Bible. (laughs) I think, I don't know what's going on right here. I think I can do a three-year Bible, right? Old Testament one year, New Testament another year, Psalms, Proverbs the third year. Does that sound good? Okay, so this was in my mind what I was going to do. So lo and behold, January 1, this year, I opened my, my one year, and never before, I guess I was too excited to go to Genesis 1, I never looked in the front cover of the one-year Bible that I have, and it says it gives you a one-year plan, a two-year plan, and a three-year plan. I thought, thank you, Jesus, that saved me some work, you know? <laughs> and so you have the plan right there, right there. So... And this was what it was, what I just told you. It was my idea. Someone took it. (laughs) Seriously. The first year you do the Old Testament, the second year you do the New Testament, then you do Song and Proverbs the third year. That is my new plan. Amen? Anybody with me? (laughs) Right. Okay. Okay. So we can do that. And now I feel like, oh my God, like I'm not so behind. It's doable for me. And, you know, and I'm not sweating bullets if somebody asks me, so, you know, this is what I read in the one year. I can actually say, you know, I'm, I'm, this year I'm only doing the New Testament. Last year I did the old. I'm in year two of my three-year plan right now. Last year I did the, the old. This year I'm doing the new. And then I'll do Psalm and Proverbs next year. And I'll just be so excited to sit in the Psalms and the Proverbs and let it really, really cultivate good, 
soil in my life. So anyways, that's what I do um, as I camp in the scriptures. Uh, you know, I just, just can't do it. I've tried, I tried, I tried, I tried, and I can't. So the Lord answered my, my cry. <laughs> and this is, I feel, very doable for me. But this has proven to be such an effective way for me to retain the scriptures. As I told you, we don't read to read, we read to retain. Now, if some of you are having a difficult time retaining the word, I'm wondering, are you reading too much? Are you reading for content, for quality? Why are you reading the word of God? Have you ever stopped and asked yourself that simple question? Am I reading just because I have to? Or am I reading to get to know my Lord and Savior more deeply, more intimately? Yes, that is why we read the Word of God. So if it is one word that you read, but God ministers to you, one word it is. Because we want to read it, we want to write it, we want to speak it, and we want, we want, we want to live it. And the only way we can live it is if we have it. We have to retain it. We have to read it to get it, to live it. So if it's one word, if it's a whole chapter, whatever it is, be a camper this year in the scriptures. Really seek to let the word of God go deep, deep in your heart in 2019. And I promise you, your life will be radically changed because of it. Make it a point, ladies, to really study the Word of God this year. If you have a question and you're like me, I, I have lots of questions about the Word of God. And so, hey, we have the internet. I'm constantly Googling my questions. I'm just like, you know, gotquestions.com. That's a good, good source, resource. I constantly am Googling my questions. I'm like just reading in the book of John. I mean, excuse me, Matthew. Um, I'm reading the book of Matthew, and I'm like wondering myself the other day. So, okay, so Jesus, you know, they had to leave, and they went to Bethlehem. Jesus was born there, and then they went to Egypt. How long was Joseph, Mary, and Jesus, how long were they in Egypt? It doesn't tell us how long, but I knew that, that I could probably find out roundabout because It helps me to put the whole story of Jesus' birth and that whole time um, in order if I find out some of my questions. So I googled it, and I found out something very interesting, that it was probably under two years. And do you know why it was under two years? Because we know that about two years old, that what Herod was looking for all of the babies to kill the babies, what, two years and under, he killed all the baby boys. So that, before then, is when Jesus and his family went to Egypt. But shortly after that, the Bible doesn't tell us, but history records, shortly after that decree to kill all the baby boys, around a few months later, Herod died. So we know, based upon history, and I found this all out from (laughs) gotquestions.com, we know from history that that they were not in Egypt long. Somewhere, it could have been two months, it could have been two years, but somewhere it was not very long, and then they made their way to Nazareth. So that's a little factoid for you today. But nevertheless, if you have a question, ask 
ask your computer. Ask somebody. It's amazing the resources we have. Go to a commentary. Um, it is e- easy, very easy, too easy to Google these days. But whatever you need to do, seek out your answer. Be a student of the scripture this year. So whether it's a one-year, two-year, three-year, whatever your plan, just do it. Do it and learn. So the next quality that Peter lists was self-control. He puts it third in line where the fruits of the Spirit puts it last in line. But self-control is the ability to control oneself, emotions, and desires, especially in a difficult or stressful situation. Ouch, right? I mean, the Bible study said, which of these, you know, are you working on? And I was like, hmm, self-control, you know, because it's in the difficult, it's especially in the difficult and stressful situations where our, doesn't the self-control sort of go out the window? So this is, is what we need to nip in the bud, really. You know, we, we can have that fruit of the Spirit that, ta- that I believe, that's tacked on the end because it's the most difficult I think, you know, you know, we can have love, uh, well, actually all the rest are um, produced from love, but we must have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and yes, mm-hmm, on the end, there it is, self-control. I believe because it's the most difficult to really get control of. <laughs> self-control is not easy to control, right? But... It is a fruit of the Spirit, and it is a quality that we are to grow in. I mean, which of us who haven't been walking with the Lord for some time, you don't need to walk with the Lord long to see um, that even just words that won't flatter your mouth anymore is an indication of self-control. Right? God is good. So he is growing you. Keep it up. Self-control is keeping your passions and your desires in check. The word was used to describe the virtue of one who masters his desires and possessions, especially his sensual appetites. Proverbs 16.32 says, He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that rules his spirit is then he who takes the city. Self-control is very important. We must have it. As believers, we must seek it. We must long for it. Many of the false teachers that Peter will expose later in this letter emphasized the opposite of what Peter did. They emphasized letting yourself go and partaking of whatever you wanted to. They claimed that the body was immaterial, that it didn't matter what you did with your body. They would therefore cast all restraints to the side and pursue every carnal pleasure that was available. But for the child of God, self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. All of us can grow in this area even pastors. (laughs) Paul wrote to Titus, you remember. He was a young pastor, left on that island of Crete, which is a beautiful island, by the way. And he exhorted him in Titus 2.11, saying, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, 
and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Self-control speaks of mastering one's emotions rather than being controlled by them. It is the last in the fruit of the Spirit, as I said, and I believe it's because it is so hard to master self-control. But it is not impossible, so continue to seek it out. Next, Peter lists the quality of perseverance. Perseverance is continued effort to do or achieve something despite difficulties, failure, and opposition. It is the ability to endure when circumstances are hard. Where self-control has to do with handling pleasures of a life, perseverance has to do with handling the pressures of life. It's enduring those sandpaper people, you know, the ones we've talked about in the past that smooth our rough edges, those ones that are harder to love than others. It's taking trials and momentary afflictions head on, knowing that they are producing a far greater weight in glory, Second Corinthians 4.17 tells us. It's often that the person who gives into pleasures in this life and lacks self-control is not disciplined enough to handle the pressures of life, so they give up even trying. Perseverance isn't something that develops naturally. It takes work. And it often involves suffering. For it's in suffering that we build perseverance. You remember um, in Romans 5, 3, we know that perseverance builds character and character hope. And hope is the expectation of coming good. We must, by faith, allow our trials to work for us and not do the opposite, working against us. Because God, ladies, is at work in our trials. He is there. You might not be able to see him, but he's there. Anyone in a trial today? I know I am. (laughs) Anyone else? I'm there. And I, like you, must trust that God is working good through the trial. He is working good in my life through the trial. And that he is using it in me so that later he might work through me. So that's for somebody here today. uh, That he is working in you in the trial. Look for the Lord in the trial. Where is he? What are you trying to show me, Lord? Are you going to allow me to use this in the future with someone else that I may encourage? I believe so. None of our pain, suffering, trials, it never is in vain. God always uses it. None of us enjoys trials, but we do enjoy the confidence that we can have in trials that God is at work. Because we know Romans 8.28 tells us what? That he does all things for good. He does all things for good. And I know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. You are all called according to his purpose. You are all 
loved by God and you love God. And you have to trust then that God is working all things, not some of them, not a few things, but all of them for his good. The next quality that Peter mentions is godliness, which simply means God-likeness or having great reverence for God. It only appears a few times in the New Testament, yet the entire Bible is a book on godliness. Right? It's all about godliness. When the word godly does appear, we must take heed. We must know because it... One of the commentaries I read said that it is pregnant with meaning. I liked that word. I was like, oh, that's a good one. Meaning it's ripe, it's ready, it's full, it's pregnant with meaning. I've never used that. So if I use it again, you'll know that I took it from someone else. But I like it because I think it says a lot. When you see the word godliness, remember, remember pregnant with meaning. <laughs> it's full, it's ripe, it's good. In the original Greek, it means to worship well. I like that. Godliness means to worship well. It describes the person who is right in his relationship with God and with his fellow man, both. This person lives above the petty things of life. Passions and pressures don't control the godly person. The Holy Spirit does. They make right decisions that are noble and don't take the easy path just to avoid pain and trial. The godly person does what's right because it is right and it pleases the Lord. A godly life is a godly response and a godly attitude, reflecting the presence of God even in the most trying situations. Godliness is something we are to pursue. It is something you can't fake. You can't pretend to be godly. You either are or you aren't. It's possible, though, to have a form, the scripture tells us, of godliness, but there is no power in it. Paul exhorted Timothy, saying, having a form of godliness in uh, 2 Timothy 3.5, but denying its power. It's possible to have a form of it, but there's no power in it. And it's, it's, diff, it's, it's, it's often difficult um, sometimes to discern. But once you've spent time with somebody who claims to be godly, you can see it, right? It, it sort of evolves like, oh, wow, okay, yeah, this is, this, is not, this is not who you are claiming to be. You may be able to fake it for a little while, but you can't fake it for very long, Right? Therefore, Peter says, it is an area we are to grow in, godliness. Next, we're almost done, he says brotherly kindness. The Greek word is Philadelphia, many of you know that, which is made up of two words, phileo, meaning love, and delphio, meaning brother. It means the love of brothers. If you have siblings, you know that you have a love for your siblings that is different, right, than a love for other people. You may have very close friendships, but the love of, with blood, siblings, it just, nothing can get in there. You know, with siblings, you can say whatever you want, and they still love you. It's like that they have to, right? They're related to you. It's that unconditional love. That's 
what brotherly love is speaking of. It's like the love of siblings. It's typically closer, though, and more intimate, you know, with siblings. If we love Jesus, we must love our brothers and sisters in Christ and seek as much as possible to live at peace with as many of them as we can, Paul says. The fact that we love our brothers and sisters in Christ is evidence that we are truly born again. We are to have this love. God is love. And so if he is love and he lives inside of us, then we too are to love. And that should be a very immediate and natural byproduct of salvation. But there's more to Christian growth than brotherly love. We must also have sacrificial love. The same kind of love that Jesus showed when he died on the cross, and that is our final quality today. Peter mentions this in verse 7. This love is agape love. It is that self-sacrificing love that is willing to deny yourself to prefer someone else. As 1 Corinthians 13, 4, 8 says, Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, Love never fails. This is the love that Jesus gives. This is Jesus. If you insert his name, you can read that perfectly. Instead of saying love, put Jesus in. And it reads beautifully. It's perfect. Try to put your name in, hmm, might not get very far. (laughs) Try to put my name in, won't get very far at all. But put his name in, and you can read the whole thing. The result of these seven qualities is fruitfulness. As Peter writes in verse 8, For if these things, these seven things that we just spoke about, are yours and abound in you, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Verse 10, therefore, brethren, even being more diligent to take your call and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never, underline that, highlight that, stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The result of continuing to grow in the Lord is that you will not be barren or unfruitful. And the blessing there is that you will continue to grow and be fruitful. You will be less inclined to stumble and you will receive heaven, access into it. It's a promise. 
Psalm 1-3 says, He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whosever leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does will prosper. That is a promise for you who are willing to apply this. If you are willing to apply what we've learned, the promise is found in Psalm 1-3. You will be like a well-watered tree that produces much good fruit. Do you want to produce fruit? Yes, we do. Does it take work? Yes, it takes work. Are you willing is the question, right? Are you willing to do what's necessary to produce the fruit that is desired? Yes, we want to, Lord. It's almost like, Lord, my spirit is willing, but my flesh is weak, right? I mean, how many times have we said what Paul said? Yes, Lord, I want to. So then the next thing is, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Lord, help me to carve out the time. Lord, help me to get up earlier. Lord, help me to make better use of my time that I have. Remember, idle time is the devil's time. If we, in 2019, really want to grow, ladies, we must start making the most of our time. It may require that you step back so that you may not be short-sighted or barren, that you put some things down, that you set some things aside. Whatever it is, you ask the Lord, you ask the Holy Spirit, and I promise you, he will speak to you. He will show you where you do have time. Someone once told me, Michelle, you always have time for what's important to you. So true. So true. What is most important to you? I want to end with that today. Let's pray. Lord, we do love you, and we praise you, and we need you, God. We are willing, but our flesh is so weak, God. Would you today fill us afresh with the power of your Holy Spirit from on high, God, that we may be able to put all we learn today into practice because we do want to produce good fruit. We do want to be well-watered gardens, God. We do want to learn and grow, and we want you to use us, Lord. But we have to be disciplined to do it, God. Would you put that in us in 2019, God? We are asking. We are pleading. Work in us. Use us. Help us, God. Speak to us today, and we know we will begin to bear more and more fruit as we put this into practice. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for this time. Go be in the remainder of our time as well. We pray that our words would be sweet and that we would sharpen one another, God. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.